0: And welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's Program Notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, April 6th through Tuesday, the 11th, feature guest conductor-composer Thomas Otis, and pianist Kirill Gerstein. The program includes Franz Liszt's Mephisto Waltz No. 1, Addis' own Piano Concerto with Carol Gerstein, Sibelius's Prelude and Suite No. 1 from his music for The Tempest, and Leoš Janacek's Taras Bulba. Here are notes by guest annotator Robert Kersinger on the Addis Piano Concerto, a work lasting about 22 minutes. Thomas Ottis got the idea to write a piano concerto in the fall of 2012 when he and pianist Carol Gerstein were preparing for performances with the Boston Symphony Orchestra of Ottis' earlier concerto, In Seven Days. As they worked together, Gerstein demurely suggested to Ottis that he would like to get in line to commission a new work from the busy composer. Ottis replied, Does it have to be a solo work? and said he might write a proper concerto. When they arrived in Boston to work with the orchestra, the two proposed the new Concerto Commission to BSO Artistic Director Anthony Fogg, who immediately said, We'll do it. Gerstein calls it the quickest commissioning agreement in history. He later learned that he had cut the line. Adas became so involved in writing his concerto that he put off writing pieces that would otherwise have taken precedence. Although Gerstein and Ades first collaborated a dozen years ago performing Stravinsky's Les Nos, since their 2012 BSO concerts, they've developed a deep musical friendship. Along with performing In Seven Days with several orchestras, they've also devised a two-piano recital that they debuted at Tanglewood. Ultimately, Ades did write Gerstein that solo piano piece as well, a version of the Bersus from his 2017 opera The Exterminating Angel. The Concerto for Piano and Orchestra is just the latest in a series of large-scale, high-profile orchestral and dramatic projects that have dominated Ades' compositional activity in the 2000s. They have included his operas The Tempest, based on Shakespeare's play and premiered in 2004 at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden, and The Exterminating Angel, based on the film by Luis Bunuel and premiered in 2016 at the Salzburg Festival, which commissioned it along with the Royal Opera in London, the Metropolitan Opera, and the Danish Royal Opera. Between and concurrent with these undertakings were his Violin Concerto, Concentric Paths, 2005, The Piano Concerto in Seven Days, 2008, The Orchestral Works Tevot, 2007 and Polaris, 2010, Totentanz for Mezzo Soprano, Baritone and Orchestra from 2013, and Lieu Retrouve for Cello and Orchestra in 2016. He made a foray into film music, writing the score for Wash Westmoreland's widely released 2018 biopic Colette, starring Keira Knightley as the French writer, and created the Exterminating Angel Symphony based on music for the opera. His latest large-scale venture is the three-part ballet score Dante composed for the UK's Royal Ballet to choreography by Wayne McGregor on a co-commission from the Los Angeles Philharmonic. The full ballet was premiered at London's Covent Garden in 2021. Otis has continually developed his art via traditional compositional genres and occasionally stylistic mimicry. His Asila is a symphony in all but name, though by not calling it a symphony, he could deflect direct comparisons to the genre. His Concertos for Violin, Concentric Paths, and Piano, the 8-Minute Concerto Conciso from 1997, as well as In Seven Days, though acknowledged as concertos, are works with perspectives unique to themselves. In Seven Days doubles as a tone poem on the creation myth from the Book of Genesis and far removed from the concertos of Mozart, Brahms, or even Ravel. By contrast, Otis's approach to his Concerto for Piano and Orchestra, as its unleavened titled hints, comes from the very heart of the piano genre. It is a proper piano concerto, of a sort that Gerstein suggests we've seen very few of since the days of Bartók, without dismissing the significance of such works as Ligeti's Piano Concerto, among others. The three-movement fast-slow-fast overall form has its roots in the classical tradition. Aras employs clearly audible thematic ideas with an almost traditional opposition of characters, that is, the rhythmically charged opening piano idea in contrast with the more expressive second subject. That he calls the second subject a second subject, synonymous with theme in musical parlance, is telling, Redolent of descriptions of sonata form, the concerto even calls for solo cadenzas. Adas's musical voice suffuses the work, deploying rigorous craft in the service of musical fluidity and expressiveness. The flexibility of meter and rhythm is characteristic. The careful, unusual notation belies the push-pull of the rhythm, a composed rubato typical of Adas's music. The concerto's harmonic clarity idiosyncratically tonal and developing with organic rigor is also oddest through and through. The orchestra is brilliant and sparkling, but also supplies dimension and depth. Its colors and harmonies often seem to have been catalyzed by the piano's moods and material. After hearing hints of what the concerto might be like for months, Gerstein first saw it in substantially completed form at Tanglewood in 2018 when visiting Odysseus socially with his family. The composer pointed to a score on the piano saying, There's your concerto and was persuaded to talk and play through parts of it. Since receiving the completed score, Gerstein said the process of learning it proceeded in a very 21st century way. He'd text or email Otis a flurry of questions or record a snippet of video on his phone to ask about his approach to a particular passage. When they were able to meet in person, with Gerstein playing through the solo part, Adas would lean over his shoulder to make infinitesimal adjustments in pencil to chord spacings or rhythms. As for its challenges, Gerstein says they're not joking. The concerto calls for piano playing on a grand scale, very virtuosic. But after years of working with Adas, the composer's music has become a natural part of Gerstein's own style. Notes by guest annotator Robert Kersinger, the Boston Symphony's director of program publications on the Addis Piano Concerto. And now, words by Addis himself. The first movement, Alagramente opens with a statement of the theme by piano and then tutti. A march-like bridge passage leads to the more expressive second subject, first played by the piano and then taken up by the orchestra. The development section interrogates the first theme before an octave mini-cadenza leads to the recapitulation fortissimo. Then there is a solo cadenza based on the second subject, first played tremolo, and then over many octaves, the piano joined first by horn and then by the full orchestra. The movement ends with a coda based on the first theme and the march. The second movement, Andante Gravamente, consists of a chordal introduction and a melody which is joined by a counter-melody and a second idea with a simple falling melody over rising harmony. The first melody reappears, leading to a fortissimo climax, subsiding to a final statement of the original theme and a coda based on the counter-melody. The finale, Allegro Joyoso, begins with a three-chord call to arms and then a tumbling theme for piano and orchestra, which is interrupted by the blustering entry of a clarinet solo heralding a burlesque canon. There is a good deal of argument, with frequent differences of opinion as regards key brought to an end by the call to arms. Eventually, the piano takes up a new theme in the style of a ball bouncing down stairs and develops it to a chorale climax. The tumbling material is developed and the call to arms is heard in multiple directions, leading to an impasse, a winding down of tempo, and a new slow grave section in three-quarter time with a new falling theme. This leads to a precipice that the piano falls off with the original tumbling theme and a coda lining up all the other themes for a final resolution on the call to arms words from composer thomas Aris on his piano concerto and now on to leoš janáček's rhapsody for orchestra taras bulba a work lasting about 23 minutes leoš janáček was music's most extraordinary late bloomer He completed his first major score at the age of 49, attracted international attention at 61, and entered the most prolific and adventuresome stage of his career as he neared his 70s. It is largely the works of his final years, composed mostly in the 1920s, which have given him a place among the important composers of his time. Janáček was born in 1854, the year Liszt published his revolutionary B-minor piano sonata, and Wagner began Die Walküre. His contemporaries were Elgar, Humperdinck, Dvorak, Mahler, and Wolf, composers who all finished their careers before Janáček hit his stride. But artistically, Janáček does not belong to their generation. The period of his most significant and original work is the time of Berg, Ravel, Stravinsky, Bartok, and Schoenberg, younger composers forging a new language and the era of such landmarks as Berg's Wozzeck, Stravinsky's Lenos, and Schoenberg's first twelve-tone pieces. Throughout his life, Janáček loved all things Russian. He formed a Russian club in Brno in 1897, visited Russia twice in the early years of the 20th century, and even sent his children to St. Petersburg to study. Of the Russian writers he admired, including Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, it was the novelist and playwright Nikolai Gogol he loved most. Janáček considered writing music based on Gogol's Tale of Charas Bulba as early as 1905, although several years passed before he started work on it. He completed the score the day before his 61st birthday. Still, Charas Bulba is one of Janáček's early compositions. Taras Bulba is Janacek's first significant orchestral work. Like Janufa, which was premiered in 1904 but didn't come to attention in the larger music world until it was staged in Prague in 1916, Taras Bulba would wait to find its audience. When it was finally performed for the first time in January 1924, Janáček left the hall as soon as the piece was over. The concert was billed as an early observance of his 70th birthday, and he didn't want to celebrate until the actual day arrived, and he failed to hear the enthusiastic crowd calling for him. The violent, bloody story of Taras Bulba is one of Gogol's most enduring and influential works. Ernest Hemingway called it one of the ten greatest books of all time, although Vladimir Nabokov, normally a Gogol admirer, likened it to rollicking yarns about lumberjacks. First published as a short story in 1835 and then reworked as a prose epic of a somewhat less than epical 150 pages seven years later, it tells the tale of Taras Bulba, an aging Cossack, and his two sons, and how all three meet their deaths. The word Cossack means adventurer. The story is set in 16th century Ukraine, which was then under the rule of Poland. Taras Bulba, a dyed-in-the-wool Cossack, is a warrior for life, and he pushes his sons onto the battlefield as soon as they are out of school, only to watch them die. Janacek claimed that he was drawn to Taras Bulba because of his belief that in the whole world there are not fires or tortures strong enough to destroy the vitality of the Russian nation, paraphrasing Gogol's own lines. For the sake of these words which fell into searing sparks and flames off the stake on which Taras Bulba, the famous hetman of the Cossacks, died, did I compose this rhapsody. Janáček picked three episodes from Gogol's tale, each dealing with a death, first that of the sons Andre and Ostap, and then Taras Bulba himself. The death of Andre depicts the tragedy of Taras's first son, who falls in love with a Polish noblewoman and becomes a traitor. The father confronts his son, renounces him, and shoots him. What a Cossack, he could have been, he says, and now he's finished dead ignominiously like a dog. Music of romance and battle merge in the abrupt, discontinuous, epigrammatic style that is quintessential Janáček. His idiosyncratic language with its pungent harmonies and speech-like rhythms is highly indebted to the study of Moravian folk music he undertook more than a decade before the famous field work done by Bartók and Kodai. In Taras Bulba, Janáček learned how music can explore conflicting emotions and states of mind. Janáček's music perfectly matches Gogol's words, as, for example, when he writes of the day Taras and his sons ride off to fight, the sons, holding back tears, quote, out of respect for their father who was perturbed himself although he struggled not to show it. It was a gray day, the green steps glittered brightly, birds chattered discordantly. In the death of Ostap the second son is taken prisoner by the Poles and transported to Warsaw where he is tortured and finally executed as his father watches from the crowd. A grotesque mazurka suggests the Polish victory. The E-flat clarinet Ostap's screams. Janáček's music is unsparing and disturbing and nearly as graphic as a photograph. To avenge Ostap's death, Taras Bulba leads the Cossacks across Poland where he too is taken prisoner and sentenced to die at the stake. Flames rise up around him, and Gogol writes the words Yanachek couldn't forget. But are there in the world such fires, such tortures, such forces as could overcome Russian strength? Yanachek's answer, with loud bells and roaring organ chords, is unequivocal. Program notes by Philip Husher on Yanachek's Taras Bulba. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.